that you're worshiping with us. I do want to say if you are here in person and you're here worshiping with us for the very first time, we'd appreciate it if you would stop by the Welcome Center and uh, just give us your name and your address. We appreciate you worshiping with us. And then there's a little gift for you to take on your way out as well. Just thank you for worshiping with us. We're glad that you did that. Also, there are some bulletins on the Welcome Center, so we're trying to do that a little bit. Some of you like having a, a bulletin in your hand and get an outline and that kind of stuff, and you can take notes if you feel like you want to do that or whatever. So we're just glad that we're able to start doing some more of these normal things. And I just can't say enough about asking you to be praying. We have a lot of things going on. A lot of people, a lot of things, as Amy aptly pointed out, things to celebrate and a lot of challenges and struggles uh, for those in our body and in our country. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me and then we're going to launch into this study. Father, thank you for the fact that you are a great king, a great God who is in control of all and yet, Father, it's in the difficult times in which we're really challenged to put our faith into practice and to say, is all this stuff that we say we believe really something that we embrace? So I pray that you, by your Spirit, would work in each of us. I pray that you'd give us open minds, open hearts to the Word of God, to the Spirit of God, and I ask that you would take the things that are said and if they need to be rearranged in our brain by virtue of your spirit's work so that we understand clearly what you want for us to know that you do that and I ask dear father that you might be honored and glorified that you Lord Jesus would be lifted up and that your kingdom would be advanced and your cause would be progressing by your grace and for your glory we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You know, a surveillance video came out this past week of an attempted murder of two police officers in an area of Los Angeles, California, and Compton that shocked the conscience of our country. Equally disturbing, or maybe even more disturbing, were the shouts by a few outside of the hospital where the officers were being treated of, we hope they die. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that some things like this only seek to increase the tension and divert attention away from what might be considered some Actual attempts to bring reconciliation where there are legitimate racial and justice issues that need to be dealt with in our country. It's unfortunate that this is happening and that it happens. In, in our quest, as a, as a body of believers and as individuals, as, as Christians, our quest for trying to make sense of the justice and, and race issues that are going throughout our, our country... Um, it seems to me that the, the God-honoring solution or solutions come from, and I'm going to quote uh, Alec Moiter, who said it best in giving us a hint at what direction we need to go. You know, there's all kinds of advice about how we need to solve the race and justice issues in our country and in the world, but here's what Alec Moiter had to say. He said this, National political, social, and governmental disasters and misdemeanors can all be traced to this one source, 
the word of God has been sidelined. The beginning of the remedy lies in our individual hands. The greatest contribution to the good of our nation, to political stability and wholesomeness, to social standards and decency, and to proper and just government is in our individual devotion and obedience to God's word. Recovery starts with me. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is unpack for you some scriptural evidence for at least two big steps that each of us can take. Steps that we can take that will project and provide some moral holiness, some reflection of holiness that will model it to the world, but also that will also move us towards wholeness when it comes to these issues of of race and justice. And so you hopefully have your Bibles and hopefully you have or you have a device or whatever. Uh, We're going to be doing a lot of scripture. So there's not a passage we're going to camp on. It was interesting. Amy called me this week or texted me, emailed me. She goes, Steve, is there a passage you're going to be? And uh, no, just like with the previous message I preached on this issue, it's not camping in a passage. But if you open your Bibles to Colossians, you'd be a good place, okay? Colossians chapter 2. And I'm, I'm going to read uh, Colossians chapter 2. And I'm going to read verses two, verse 8 of chapter 2. And then I'm going to read chapter Three, a few verses in chapter 3 to kind of set the context. The first of these steps that we can take are stated for us on the screen or in your bulletin outline, and I'll just say them for those who don't have either one of those. We're to clothe ourselves with humility as believers and conduct ourselves wisely. Okay? Clothe ourselves with humility and conduct ourselves wisely. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 says this. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. According to the traditions of men. According to the elementary principles of this world. And not according to Christ. For in Him, this is verse 9. In Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and we are complete in Him. Now look over Colossians chapter 3, and I'm going to begin with verse 10. Uh, Actually, I'm going to begin with verse 8. But now you also put them all aside. Now get this, anger and wrath and malice and slander and abusive speech from your mouth. Okay? He says, do not lie one to another, uh, you... Since you lay aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which, now get this, there is no distinction. So as believers in a renewal of our, our regeneration, there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, slave or free, or Scythian, or barbarian, slave or free. But Christ is all and in all. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, let us put on a heart of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, for as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. We are to clothe ourselves with humility and we are to 
Act wisely. This is Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. Conduct yourself with wisdom towards those who are outside, making the most of every opportunity. In his book, Fortitude, Dan Crenshaw has described the current climate of our society as an outrage culture. An outrage culture steeped in irrational anger where victimhood is power. Now, both in the artificial world of social media and in the actual world in which we all live, they both reveal that there's this powder keg of hostility that's kind of just there. It's, it's just like at a moment's notice. I mean, you, if you read anything on social media, if you listen to the news, if you hear the radio, if you're on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or whatever, you know that people are immediately, they make an assumption. They make an accusation. They, we, we jump to conclusions about what, what it is we hear. We suspect automatically evil intentions. And then we react with intense emotion. It's the outrage or you might say the, the cancel culture. Don't like what you said? You're done. I'm done with you. That's the world in, in, which, in which we live. And so what we do is respond. So that's where you get all the, the putting people down and the rioting and the looting and the Trashing of people and just hostility towards people. Marla and I live uh, near one of the trails in the, in the area. We live in Urbandale and near one of the trails. And I was out in the yard the other day and I heard this. I'm gonna, uh, you might want to turn this down a little bit because it was, I was not visibly seeing it but heard. Move over. Get out of the way. Don't you know you're supposed to get over? Get over. Come on. Get over. Don't you know COVID is here? I just like, whoa. And it was like, seriously. I mean, that guy's having a coronary over the fact, I mean, people are out walking on the trail. I mean, the trail's only so wide. <laughs> you know, okay, walk in the woods. You know, because COVID is here. Yes, it is. But does that give us the right to just go off the rails at people, and some of you have seen this. I mean, I, I know of people who've been going into a store and they, they didn't have a mask on, and, and and people start screaming at them. It's just like it's it's absurd. In a world of hostility, God calls His church to live with humility, to walk with humility. You know, that's Colossians, heart of compassion kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Now humility is that which shuns selfishness and seeks to elevate other people's interests. We conduct ourselves with wisdom. Wisdom towards those who are outside. We're supposed to act, you know, when it says conduct yourself with wisdom, we're supposed to act wisely and winsomely. Not with hostility, not with anger, not with this crassness. I want you to, you don't have to turn there, but we're going to look at it. Hopefully it's on the screen. James chapter 3, uh, verses 16 and 17. And this is James contrasting the wisdom from above with the wisdom from the world. And he says, for where there is jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. 
and then peaceable and gentle and reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. This is what God calls his church to, but it's not what we see in our culture. It's the exact opposite. Now, I want you to think with me this morning about two realms. Now, I would say to you that by, I've been praying and working on this for weeks, and so I'm not, I don't have the last word. I don't have the total word. I don't have every word. I just have a few words that I think that uh, God's leading me to. And so I want you to consider where it is we're supposed to exercise humility and, and wisdom that they're important in a couple of realms. First of all, in our evaluation of information. As Christians, when we hear something, what do we do with the something that we hear? How do we evaluate the information? And the information comes to us from the world and from the word. The world and the word. So first of all, the world's information. Do you just accept every Twitter feed, every Instagram post, every Snapchat picture, every video you see on Facebook, or every comment you see on Facebook, or every news report, do we just accept it unquestioned, and then impulsively react? Or do we deny it completely? It's just all fabrication. That's not true. It doesn't follow my line of thinking, so it must be false. Or do we actually handle it rationally? responsibly think it through you know some of us are just like I got my mind made up don't confuse me with the facts type people or I'm willingly ignorant and I'm so proud of it no let's evaluate the information James chapter 1 verse 19 if there's one verse probably that should cover all of us in this it's this verse be quick to hear slow to speak And slow to anger, quick to hear. But most of us are just the opposite, right? I'm I'm quick to anger, I'm quick to speak, and I'm slow to listen. No. And what do we have? We have this information that comes to us from the world. Uh, I read a book recently by Greg Kukul, um, and it's about the uh, defending our, our faith. And he gives a couple of suggestions for a couple of questions that I think are just... Really easy questions, but they're very important questions. And so I'm going to walk through them with you. First of all, it is, we should ask the question, what do you mean by that? When you get information, just ask this question, what do you mean by that? And that's very helpful in the whole discussion about race and justice because there are a lot of meanings about what people are saying. It's an attempt to clarify definitions so we can grasp both the source and the solution to the problem. I mean, if I don't know what you mean by racism, if I don't mean, know what you mean by social justice, if I don't know what you mean by equality, if I don't know what you mean when you say, oh, someone is really woke, I don't know what you mean when you say that there is this thing called identity politics or intersectionality, if I have no clue as to what those things are, then how am I going to have a discussion with you? Do you know what social justice is? Well, it depends on your perspective. 
on social justice. These things are clamoring for definitions. I've uh, been compiling a little glossary of things, and so I'm going to hopefully get that. I'm going to talk to Mike. We'll see if I can get it posted up on our webpage, and people can access it so that you give a, a little bit of an idea. I'm going to get some editing done on it, too, so that uh, make sure that it's not just a totally biased perspective on these things. But I don't have time to answer what those questions are, but we need to ask and answer and find out what the definition is. What do you mean by that? You know, because social justice is a completely different thing. If you mean by social justice helping the needy, the poor, those who are underprivileged and providing assistance so that systems and structures are in place that are fair and equitable, that's one thing. But if you want to revolutionize and revolt against the entire American system, that's another thing. Social justice. Second question is, is that true? Is that true? Is it really true what this person says or what the feed says or you see a clip of a video and you don't know what the whole video is, right? Is that true? Well, I don't know. You see, we're people of the truth. Proverbs 16, 17 says that God hates liars. Well, as God's people, we should also not, we should abhor that which is a lie, okay? If we find out what's true, humble wisdom verifies the information, the facts, so we don't jump to conclusions. Now, I'm going to say some things. I'm going to ask some questions here, and it could spark a lot of controversy. But let me ask you this question. What evidence is there that George Floyd's death, as tragic as it is, now every death is a tragedy. We have a family in our church that's mourning a loss. Now the family of Ruth Bader Ginsburg is mourning a loss. The family and friends of George Floyd. But as tragic as his death was, what evidence is there that it was a result of a racial bias against him? There may be some. There may not be some. But did anybody ask the question? Or did we just assume? Secondly, what is the evidence, just random questions here, does the objective evidence support the claim that all police brutality is racially motivated? We need to ask the question. Because we ask the question, humility seeks the, the facts where hostility shuts down debate. Okay, Humility seeks the facts. I, want, I just want to know what the, what the facts are. To question these assumptions doesn't excuse any brutality. It doesn't make it true or false, whatever the assumption is. It makes one not a racist, but a realist. I just want to know what the facts are. That's not wrong. Now, what's the word's information? The world's information is one thing. The word's information, the Bible, the scripture's information is another. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The word tells us that racism is a real deal, okay? That racism is rooted in self-love and that self-love uh, keeps us from loving all of mankind as we should, okay? That's what God calls us to. In James chapter 2, and the Bible says what? Matthew chapter 22, verse 39. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That's Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. 39. Love your neighbor as yourself. James chapter 2 
portrays this idea of favoritism. If, however, you're fulfilling the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Matthew 22, 39, quoting the Old Testament, right? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What do you do? You're doing well, but if you show partiality, if you elevate yourself, you are confirming, committing sin and are convinced by the law, convicted by the law as a transgressor. Okay, partiality. What is partiality? Partiality is that we make a distinction with evil motives. I make a distinction based on your gender. I make a distinction based upon your race. I make a distinction based upon your ethnicity. I make a distinction based upon your economic status with evil intentions. You see, we have to accept what God's Word says. And I said this two weeks ago. We are all sinners. All of us. I don't care where you grew up, where you were born, what your family background is, what your economic status is. You are born in sin, in rebellion against God. And that we are deserving of God's judgment and His wrath. So all of us are capable of every sin. Right? We're all capable of every sin. I have a friends, more than I have friends, they're the mixed race couple. And uh, their bias, prejudice, racism came out when their first child was born. And you don't know who this couple is, so don't imagine that you know who I'm talking about. And and she said, it just happened to be, uh, he's white and she's black. And he goes, they were driving in the car and he just said, oh, I just, I just dream of the day when she'll marry some nice white guy. She looked at him and said, she's going to marry a nice black guy. Oh, so I guess even in a mixed race couple, there can be this exposure of, of sin in our, in our life. None of us is exempt from the anger, the strife, the animosity, the prejudice that comes with being fallen human beings. We're able to exhibit it. Some of you were not alive in 9-11, but we recently commemorated the anniversary of 9-11 attacks on the, on the United States. After 9-11, I can tell you that there was a, 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 a groundswell of people who were automatically assuming that every person who was a Muslim was a terrorist. Is that warranted? No, but they did. Even more close to home. I was really saddened uh, when I heard that some of our good friends in the, the Chin, the Karen and the Karini communities were being maligned and ostracized and criticized and condemned right after the outbreak of COVID-19. Why? Well, because they're of Asian descent, or appear to be. And so they were automatically blamed and ostracized. That, that's, that's racism. That's criticism. That's sin. And it happens. And where we see racism, God calls us to oppose it. Where we're guilty of it, calls us to repent of it. And when others are guilty of it against us, he calls us to, now get this, forgive. Where is the discussion about forgiveness in the United States and in our discussions? Where's that one? It's right there in Colossians chapter 3, 
verse 15. It's also in Ephesians chapter 4, at the end of chapter 4, verse 29, I mean, verse 32. Forgive, 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 as Christ has forgiven us. In our evaluation of information, we need humility and wisdom. In our education about the current state of race and justice, we need humility and wisdom. In James chapter 1, verse 4, a familiar verse with many of you, if anyone of you lacks wisdom, what are we supposed to do? Ask of God, who gives to all men liberally, women too, okay. not, 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 a, not a gender issue, without, but let him ask in faith. Then in, you have Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. You see, Wisdom is from, God's wisdom comes from God's word through the work of God's spirit informing us. And God's wisdom also comes from the world. Not all truth is in the Bible. All the Bible is true, but not all the truth is in the Bible. Okay? I, I don't know where in the Bible the theory of gravitational pull is present. But it's true, okay? Uh, you can use uh, titration techniques and uh, 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 titrating agent P-nitrobenzineazoresorcinol and you can determine the amount of acid and base that are needed to equalize each other. That's not in the Bible. But it's true. But the Bible is always true about everything it says. And God's wisdom comes, and there's two ingredients that I think we need to think about with regard to our education. Accurate information. And this is Colossians chapter 2. I remember being a, a student, and my father, who hardly ever wrote me ever, anything, sent me this verse. Colossians chapter 2, 8. Let no one take you captive. Students, listen to this. Adults, listen to this. Let no one take you captive through philosophy or empty deception, according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of this world, and rather than according to Christ. What do we have going on here? Uh, the world's lies. You see, if I want to understand the behavior of happen what's happening in the world, I must understand the energy behind it, and that is beliefs. Beliefs determine behavior. Convictions determine conduct. Attitude always determines action. So you want to know why people are behaving the way they are? Well, what's the energy behind it? What's the belief? And so here's the belief. According, and now I'm, I'm making a generalization here, but according to the prominent secular ideologies, I'm thinking particularly of critical race theory and liberation theology, according to these modern theories, here is the assumption. Here is what's driving the train in America today. The belief that our founding as a country, that racism is the original sin, okay? That racism is the original sin in our founding and that every white person therefore is racist in his or her every thought and action and interaction. Every white person needs to be informed of their racism. And any denial that they are racist is deemed a confirmation that they are. Every white person must repent of his or her racism. But there's absolutely no redemption 
because they are permanently racist. They are, and I quote, incessant, their racism is incessant and inescapable. Now, Al Mohler, who's the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, has summarized the, the current ideological perspective in these words. The entirety of American history and the sum of, and substance of the American experiment is based upon white supremacy and racism. And because of that, therefore, it's inherently racist and must be destroyed. The entire American experiment in ordered liberty must go. According to critical race theory, liberation theology, and the current ideologies that are being perpetrated as a result. And then spin-offs, the, the spawns of that, which are being perpetrated in this country. Now, what happens as a result of that teaching? I'm just going to give you one example of what I think is a result of that kind of teaching. I was reading, and I don't read Facebook very often, but I was several weeks ago I was reading a Facebook post by a professing Christian, and this professing Christian said this, the most Christ-like thing we can do is to support Black Lives Matter. Now, let me say this. Black lives matter. Latino lives matter. Asian lives matter. African lives matter. South American lives matter. Mongolian lives matter. American lives matter. White, red, yellow, black, white, doesn't matter. Your life matters. Why? Your matters because you're created in the image of God. As a child of, uh, created by God. So I'm not saying that black lives don't matter. What I'm saying is that there's a Christian who said that, that, that it's the most Christ-like thing to do to support Black Lives Matter, the organization. I wonder if that person or you or anyone else has taken the time to read what the statements, the mission statement of Black Lives Matter is. Does this person, do you agree that it is part of doing the work of re required to dismantle cisgender privilege? That we should deny God's creation of male and female? Do we agree with disrupting the Western prescribed nuclear family structure? Which is a misnomer because the Western family didn't decide. You know, the, the, the family structure is not decided by Western society. It's decided by God Almighty. But do you see that you, you can distinguish between those who support advocating for justice and, and, and the elimination of racism for a different group of people, but you don't agree with organizations who are completely antithetical to the scripture. So what is our response? I mean, you know, we're educated. We're supposed to think about these things. What is our response? Well, I'm going to give you my response to the issue, is America inherently racist? Now, I'd be the first one to say that the American story is not one of continuous, unbridled virtue or of constant, uncontrollable vice. We should not deny our checkered past in regards to race and justice issues. No, we need to face it squarely. But neither should we be defined by or dismiss the progress made 
in promoting good and informing, as our founder said, a more perfect union. You see, fallen people create fallen structures, which means that they're inherently fallen. The issue is, are they condemned entirely for their fallenness, or is there progress? Even progress made over the course of our founding until now in the areas of race and justice. It was then-Senator Barack Obama who criticized, and I quote, he criticized the profoundly distorted view of this country that sees white racism as endemic and that elevates what is wrong with America above all that we know is right with America. Racism is a heinous sin, okay? Let's don't deny it. And it's a heinous sin that many white people are guilty of, okay? But it is not a sin that all white people are guilty of. And neither is it a sin that only white people are guilty of. Because racism is a result of sin in the human heart. So that all humans are capable of that sin. Not all of them are guilty of committing that sin. But all of them are capable of committing that sin. Racism is abhorrent. But it's not unforgivable. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. In him we have redemption. Through his blood, even the forgiveness of our sins. I know, I know that I have had racially biased prejudice. I know that I've made stupid statements that are sinful and wrong. But I also know that through the blood of Christ, I am forgiven. My sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And every time I commit sin, whether it is a race or justice issue or not, I can come to the cross, and I can claim the forgiveness that is there through the blood of Christ. Grace that is greater than all my sin. And you can too. That's what's true. The greatest offense, and I don't think I, I, I read so much on this. I don't think this is original with me. The greatest offense of these deceptions, these worldly deceptions, is not that they're un-American. It's that they're unchristian. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse. Or, I'm sorry. Second Corinthians chapter ten, verses four and five. Listen to these verses. For the weapons of our warfare are not for the flesh, but for divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We use our minds and we take them captive in our act in obedience to what God's word says, not what the world says. It's the call 
Christ in our life. Obedience to the cause of Christ. So here's the deal, folks. These theologies, these ideologies are not merely things which we need to be warned against. They are things we need to confront. Second thing we need to do is not just, we need to acknowledge individuality. Um, I did some research. I'm just going to throw these verses out. Uh, I know we have slides for them, but we're not going to give them all. So you, you just, in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 30, everyone's supposed to be judged for what everyone does. You're all responsible. We're all responsible for the sins we commit. Okay? That's what it says. Psalm 139, verse 14. Each of us is fearfully and wonderfully made. That's each individually is fearfully and wonderfully made. Then we have in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, that each one is rewarded for the things that they do. So our creation, our judgment, and our reward is based upon who we are as individuals. What we do by God's grace and His Spirit working in us and through us, that's it individuality. There's a movement today that wants to strip away individuality that, and I want to say that to remove it is unjust. The injustice of individuality denied is this. First of all, it's unjust to attribute the mistakes of some to the entire group. You know what gets me in all this is the group think and the group accusations. Okay, look, let's go back to Black Lives Matter is everyone who supports the idea that black lives matter, that there is a, some sort of an uh, emergency among a uh, black community that needs to be remedied, are all those people out there marching and, and crying out saying, listen to us, help us. Are they all criminals? Are they all violent looters and, and, and criminals? No. No. I think the vast majority of them are just feeling disadvantaged and feeling oppressed and feeling they want help. So should we just assume because they're out there and some of the people are acting like knuckleheads that all of them are that way? Absolutely not. In the same way that not every white person is a racist. You can't lump every... It's unjust. It's unfair. It's, it's, not, it's not right. Do we conclude that all police officers are racially biased? Because some are. Well, that's the narrative that we're hearing, but it's not the truth. I mean, I, read, I heard a statistic once that there are 800,000 police officers on duty at any one time, on any one day in the United States. And all those 800,000 police officers are encountering, there's like a millions and millions of intersections between police officers and the civilian public. And the percentage of those that end badly is like absolutely minuscule. So to say that they are as a whole out to get anybody is just absolutely incorrect. It's just factually not true. Now, do some of them exhibit bad behavior? Absolutely. Uh, anybody here been to a bad doctor? You know? Somebody's, I mean, an arrogant doctor? A knucklehead doctor? Anybody think that all lawyers are crooks? My son's a lawyer, careful. <laughs> Anybody believe that used car salesmen, <laughs> you know, ah, they're going to take you. All of them. 
See, that's the group think that is detrimental in especially this discussion. It's unjust. It's unjust to say that because there are a few bad apples, they're all bad apples. It's unjust to deal with a person based upon their character or conduct during a segment of their life. I read the other day, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Go back and read that one day. And then at the top of, uh, top of a piece of paper, you might write this. David, a man after God's own heart. And then read 2 Samuel chapter 11. Oh yeah, we have the little issue with Bathsheba. And then we have the little issue after Bathsheba of him actually commanding that Bathsheba's husband be murdered. Oh, So do we judge David? who is a man after God's own heart, based upon one segment of his life. But yet we're willing to do that. With other people. I'm going to throw this out for you, and I, 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 this is for free. Think about this. There was a big controversy when Brett Kavanaugh was uh, you know, up for the Supreme Court nomination. He was nominated Supreme Court justice, right? And there were these allegations made about him when he was 18 years old. Okay? Allegations for a man who's you know, 20 years later, or 30 years later, he was made these... Anybody ever do stupid stuff when you're 18? Some of you aren't 18 yet. Believe me, you'll do stupid stuff when you're 18. Okay? I have a question for you. If he had been proven guilty, which he wasn't, if he had been proven guilty, would that have disqualified him for becoming a Supreme Court Justice? For some people, absolutely yes. Why? Because of one segment of his life disqualified him? Oh, that, where's the grace of God? If I was judged based upon one segment of my life, I'd be headed for hell. But God, in His grace, redeemed me. Not because of what I did. In spite of what I did. And that's the way it is for every one of us. In spite of what we do, God's grace is sufficient. It's unjust. It's unjust to declare that treating everyone as equal before the law and they're judged based upon their character and effort opposes minorities. Like somehow God, God's sovereignty in giving us opportunities and God's sovereignty in giving us abilities and God's sovereignty in calling us to be personally responsible is somehow we, some people are exempt from that. That's not unjust to say that equal treatment under the law and do, getting what you deserve based upon what you do is wrong. That's not prejudice. That's wisdom. MLK Jr., what is his statement? I dream of the day in which my children will grow up and People, men will be judged not on the basis of the color of their skin, but on the basis of their character. And I want to tell you, folks, that the movement afoot in our country sees his statement as weakness. Because the civil rights movement of the 60s was moving for reform, today the movement is for absolute revolution. God is about restoration. We need to put on humility and we need to act wisely. Secondly, we need to pursue harmony. Harmony, two steps. First of all, practice love for all. 
Matthew chapter 22, verse 39. What has God called us to? Love our neighbor as ourself. So we need to pursue peace. Romans chapter 12, 18. I was reading this, you know. We're, we're supposed to pursue the things that make for peace as much as it depends on who? Somebody else? No, as much as it depends on you. It starts with us, right? As much as it depends on you, do everything that you can be at peace with all men. Do what we can to be at peace with all men. And again, I repeat, James chapter 1. What is James 1.19? Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I was struck by this quote from Shelby Steele's book, The Content of Our Character, in which he identifies what he believes is keeping us from being at peace in the United States with regard to race and justice. Here's what he says. He highlights the dynamic that prevents peace. I think, this is Shelby Steele, the racial struggle in America has always been primarily a struggle for innocence. The innocent have power because of the other's guilt. Steele observes, Blacks sting whites with guilt and remind them of their racial past, accuse them of new and more subtle forms of racism, and in return, whites try to retrieve their innocence by discrediting blacks and denying their difficulties. For in this denial is the denial of their own guilt. So what does this translate into? Well, it goes like this. Um, so in our current climate, whites are intended to feel and made to feel uh, they're inescapably racist. Okay. And they bear the blame for the sins of the past, even if they never committed them. And if they speak up, they're exercising white privilege and white supremacy. And if they're silent, then that silence is violence. Can't win. Guilty, guilty, guilty. Now, turn the tables. And I, this is just the blacks and the whites because Shelby is an African-American author and he's writing it from that perspective. But the same could be said for different minorities. Creating, so here, here's what the, <clears throat> the black community sees. They're frustrated because, as Kevin DeYoung states, whites fail to the muster even meager sympathy for understanding black pain, which is true for many of us. I mean, before I moved to the metro area, I didn't have any relationships hardly at all with very many minority people, you know. So what is it like to move to this country from another country? And I look around and I see people who've moved here and you know, do I empathize with that? Do I try to understand the struggle of what it would be like to be uh, the minority person? And I've been the minority person in other, other countries, you know. And it's, it's, it's kind of uncomfortable. But do we, do, we, do we try to understand that? And uh, Kevin Young says, whites fail to muster even meager sympathy for understanding black pain. And if you, that is, if, if, if you black people want to talk about policing in America, then we're going to automatically go to, well, let's talk about the, um, the, the crime rate in Chicago. Okay. And if you want to talk, you black people want to talk about social or criminal justice reform, well, then we're going to talk about the black abortion rate. You see that, what that does? It's just like, we're going to shut you down. And so, while the, the, the one community tries to do that to the other community, the other community tries that to, to do that to the, the opposite community. We're guilty before God, all of us. All of us are guilty before God. And 
that guilt can be forgiven through Christ. This is peace only through the blood of the cross. And when the blood of the cross is applied, then we can forgive and move on as we have been forgiven. And we can stop the guilt-shame game only in Christ. Otherwise, we just keep going back and forth. You're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're worse guilty than me, and only if I'm innocent do I have power over you. We're supposed to promote justice. My favorite, one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament is Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice. Notice that? We're supposed to do justice. But we're supposed to love mercy. There's not a whole lot of mercy that's being extended in our culture today. Do justice and love mercy. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be people who do it. To treat everyone equitably. Support systems and structures that are fair and that promote and protect and participate in caring for the needy and the hurting. That's social justice. It's the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of God's word is to be there advocating for the oppressed and for the, uh, the downtrodden, the widows, the orphans, the poor, all these people, the aliens, the strangers in your land. This is the Bible through and through. We're supposed to be people of justice. And I, uh, you know, hey, we got opportunities. I have freedom for youth. That's what they're all about. Freedom for youth is educating people and providing training for people and opportunities for for people in the minority community to be encouraged we have opportunities to do educational stuff with our refugee communities talk to katie if you want to to get information about how to do that there are educational opportunities to help them to acclimate them to come alongside them and help them walk through what it means how do you do the citizenship process how do you do this thing for applying for a loan how do you do this thing to get a bank account all this kind of stuff we can be part of that We're supposed to support crisis pregnancy centers one of the most oppressed and unjust things in this whole country, an unjust group, are the unborn who are being slaughtered 3,000 every day. What about those young children who are being trafficked? What do we do about that? Oh, well, it's really too bad. No, we got to do better. Their lives at stake, and they need to be reached for Christ. Old Testament Isaiah chapter 58 verses 6 and 7. I want you to look at this passage of scripture. Is this not the fast which I choose to loosen the bonds of wickedness and to undo the bands of the yoke and to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? The food pantries clothing pantries, many hands for Haiti, uh, you know, whatever you want to do, there's all kinds of opportunities we have to help those who are really in need. We need to promote justice. Let's get busy. And the third thing is we need to proclaim the truth. In Ephesians chapter 4, which Bob got us through Ephesians, you know, last week, it was a, you know, great study of all that's there. But in the preceding verses of verse 14, which many of us know, therefore speaking the truth in love, 
Okay, we're supposed to speak the truth. But what's the context? The context is against heresy. In the midst of heresy, we're supposed to speak the truth in love. And the unspoken truth in our society is we don't always agree on the extent of racism and injustice. We don't. And the part of that problem is we have different ways of measuring it, different ways of defining it. So when we're talking about equality and racial justice with regard to blacks and whites, are we measuring the progress of the, uh, where blacks are today versus where blacks were in the 60s? Are we measuring it compared to where with whites? Are we measuring it on the basis of their education? Are we measuring it on the basis of their occupation? Are we measuring it on the basis of what? And is it improvement if we improve the process, if we improve equal opportunities, or only if we produce equal outcomes? I mean, those are things that are debated. You know, it's how we decide that. It's never easy to decide it. When are we supposed to speak the truth in love? What's James 1.19? Be quick to hear. You know what we first do? We speak. And I, you know, I had the opportunity, Marla and I, we sat down with some people to hear what their story is with regard to some of these things. And man, you can't believe how hard it is for a preacher to keep shut. You know, keep that mouth shut. I mean, I just, I got answers. You know, I got ideas. I, you know, no, listen. Quick to hear, so to speak. So to anger. Think of Jesus. Uh, just write John 4 and John 8. Jesus crossed the cultural barriers. Jesus tra- crossed the racial barrier. Cre- Jesus crossed the social barriers when he met those two women. One at the well, and the other one brought to him caught in adultery. And you know what he did? He listened. He asked questions. He exposed, or he exercised mercy. He showed mercy. He eventually he, uh, exposed their error, and he addressed their deepest need. And what are we supposed to say? What is the truth we're supposed to say? Well, uh, the truth is supposed to help believers grow. That's the truth of the Word of God. That's why we listen to the Word of God. It's supposed to help us grow up in Jesus. That's Matthew chapter, or Ephesians 4, 16. That you might grow up into Him who is the head, even Christ. Okay. But the truth is supposed to help unbelievers know. It's supposed to help believers grow. It's supposed to help unbelievers know. Know what? You know what? the explanation for and the solution to racism, injustice, inequity, hardship, everything. Because Jesus is the answer. It's the truth of the Word of God. Original sin is not racism. Racism is the result of the original sin. And the original sin leaves all of us. All of us. Every ethnic group, every nationality, every race, every gender, every occupation fallen before a holy and righteous God deserving of his judgment. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God in his infinite mercy sent his son Jesus Christ. And it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we have been given a ministry of reconciliation. All these things are from God who reconciled us to himself in Christ. And he is committed to us. Not counting, you know, that's, oh, that's verse, yeah, verses 18 and 19. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. He's called us to share the good news of Jesus with a lost and dying world. Because he made him, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be, who, who did he become sin for? 
Only people in America? Only people from Asia? Only people from South America? Only people from Central America and Mexico? No, all people! That's the news. And through Jesus Christ, we become one family. If we put our trust or our faith in him, we're united as one family. And one family in Christ, by the blood of Christ, we have the same blood. We're, so I heard somebody say, you know, even though we're different blood, no, we're, we're, we're the same. If we're in Christ, we have been saved, rescued by the same blood, the blood of Jesus. And in that same blood, guess what? You're family. If you know Jesus, you're my family. And if I know Jesus, guess what? Even though you're not my family, I hold you with the highest dignity regardless of your race, ethnicity, gender, whatever, because you are created in the image of God. And only Christ enables me to do that. And only Christ enables you to do that. I have a, I have a white brother. He was uh, ministering in, in Chicago. No, I'm sorry, New York. And he was, I mean... He was the minority, okay, in an ethnically diverse culture in which, as he ended his time there, the, the, the black brothers came to him, and not even the black brothers, but black people from the community, and they said, hey, you know what, you're pretty dope. And actually, they, they referred to him as a dope, and then they used another word for him, which in that community they only use towards each other, or else you are considered a racist. It was the highest compliment he could get. Because his deeds showed the truth of the gospel. That's what I'm calling this. We're supposed to do good works to build goodwill. And guess what? When we build goodwill, we build bridges to the gospel. And when we build bridges to the gospel, guess what happens? Sometime, as a friend of mine told me, which I didn't want to hear. Sometimes when you build bridges, well, bridges always get walked on. That should shake you. I don't like getting walked on. First thing I thought of was our brother Bob and the guys at Freedom for Youth and gals at Freedom for Youth. Because earlier this spring, they were taken and trashed, in my opinion. Discounted all that they had done. And you know what they did? They chose not to bail. They chose not to walk out, but they chose to be walked on for the sake of Christ. So that some people who even though they despised him and hated him and maligned him and misused him and abused him would see the gospel. That's what God calls us to. Share the gospel of Christ. The good news. Paul said, when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with proclaiming to you the, with the wisdom man, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, but I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Folks, it is only through the blood of Christ that we can be forgiven. It's only through the blood of Christ that we can extend that forgiveness. Do you know that if I have been loved by Christ, it becomes the power of God in me to love as Jesus loved me? Same is true for you. And so I invite you this morning, if you're here and you're online or you're listening here this morning in person and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would hold up to you that the only solution, the only solution to racism, injustice, whatever sin, whatever horrible, horrible thing that's happening is the person and the work of Jesus. And when you turn from your sin, begin, it begins with me, 
Reform, revolution, change begins with me. If I turn from my sin and I trust in Christ, then I have been forgiven and then I am able to forgive just as Christ forgave me. I am able to love in the same way that Christ loved me. And so that every person, regardless of the race, is a brother and sister in Christ if they know Jesus. And if they aren't, then they are a fellow human being. A greater value and worth than we could ever imagine. And so when we, when we take a few moments now and we, we break open that little cup, or if you're at home, you do your own thing, let's just remember, let's just remember that these are symbols that God has provided for us for the opportunity for us to belong. They're symbols that remind us that we have this opportunity to belong to the same family, regardless of our nationality, and to live for God's glory so that I can love people, I can forgive people, even though... It's hard sometimes. I don't do it perfectly sometimes. Let's pray. Father, if people are here this morning and they know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, I pray that, they, that each of us, would, that we would just take a moment before you and confess our own sin and, uh, and take a moment to reflect upon what you've done for us in sending your son and uh, Lord Jesus in you coming and dying on the cross and that we would realize that only if, if we're trusting in you, your death as a payment for sins we deserve, are we forgiven. And if we are forgiven, then we are greatly empowered by your spirit to love. We're part of the same family with people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Lord, help us to see each other's family. Those who aren't in the family, we pray that you give us a heart to reach them and show them the love that you have for all mankind because we are created in your image. If we don't know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that we would. For now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. In Jesus' name we pray.